What is going on? Welcome to the Land Podcast. This week we have a great episode with Flint from Missouri. And Flint is 30 years old, owns over 200 rental units, so total doors, and over 1,300 acres. And so he started this journey five years ago, started a tree trimming service and bought a farm, ended up making a little bit of money, ended up buying some rental properties, and then was just, quite frankly, off to the races. So we talk about some interesting things. He's bought and sold over 10 farms here uh, in the last couple of years, and he breaks down how he basically improves these parcels, documents all the trail camera photos, uh, maybe adds uh, something very interesting to the property that I think no one uh, has talked about here on the podcast before, and so much more. So just a wealth of information here, and it was great to talk with him. I think that people get a little bit discouraged these days, thinking the best days are behind us, and um, you know, like, oh, it was easier back then, and so it means that people can't do it in today's climate, today's everything. And so Flint's living proof that just get started, get going, start learning, and self-educate. So if you're listening to this podcast, you're in the right location. Hope you guys enjoy this episode real quick before we get into it. Exodus. So as you may know, I'm the co-owner of Exodus. We've been in business for seven years. I've been with them for the last five and a half years, and we've been trailblazing the outdoor space and developing new products that are quality built, affordable, and have the best warranty and customer service period. Right now, we have 20% off the entire website at exodusoutdoorgear.com. Use the code YEAR7 to save 20%. So that's just the the word YEAR, the number seven. And we're selling the first 300 renders 20% off. So hope you guys take advantage of that. Also, if you've been here a few times, you know the goal is to help 100 people buy their first piece of ground, whether that is me helping you in the state of Illinois, getting you connected with a great agent where you're looking wherever at in the country, or you just listen to this podcast and it helps you go into your first purchase. That's the goal here. So let me know so I can add you to the spreadsheet. One very last thing, we have some books from my friend Pat Porter, and I have a pile of them, and I'm happy to send them out to anyone that signs up for the email resource. If anyone goes in there and signs up for that, I'm going to send them a personal email, get their information, and drop them a book free of charge, shipping on me. I forgot to mention here real quick, in the beginning of this episode, Flint is using some headphones, and then he ends up uh, changing them out. So the audio is a little bit wonky on the beginning, still able to hear it, but not is great as what the rest of the conversation is. So I just want to give you guys a quick heads up before you get into it. Have a great rest of your week. It's Memorial Day. So if you're out working on the deer farm, doing some deer stuff, enjoy it. If you're working, make the most of it. And if you're listening to this on Tuesday, hope you have a great week. Flint, welcome. Welcome, man. We've been, we've, uh, we've had a head of rain delay a couple times, uh, with a variety yeah. of, of two busy lives, but man, thanks for, thanks for coming on here today. Hey, no problem. So I got your message. Uh, you reached out and you kind of said, Hey, uh, you followed some of the stuff here. I think it was on YouTube. Uh, some of the videos that you seen, I think it was your brothers followed Exodus for a while, uh, and whitetail cribs and everything else. And then, uh, coincidentally you're quite, you have quite the real estate portfolio you built here over the last, how many years? Uh, last five years. Last five years. Well, then, yeah, you've been real busy then. So, yeah. uh, for for folks, why don't you just take a second to introduce yourself, where you're, where you're kind of from, a little bit about your backstory, and uh, things should set up the conversation nicely. Okay, uh, from Sullivan, Missouri, about an hour west of St. Louis. Um, got a wife, Alyssa, and three kids. Their oldest one's four, so they're all pretty close together. Um, got started my own tree business when I was nineteen worked for a guy and I thought I could make more money doing my own thing. So I started at 19, got married at 21, um, built a house together that year we got married and then uh, worked hard. We both had money and savings. So we paid the house off the next year and decided I want my own farm, a good place to hunt. Uh, lived on cattle farm, but it's mostly all fields. So I thought oh, I'd like to get a place North Missouri where the hunting is better. So uh, as soon as we got the house paid off, found a farm that I really liked. It was just the most ground I could afford because it was about 100 acres. So we bought it and uh, we're still doing tree business. And, Wait a minute. Uh, we're, was, we're going too fast. So you guys paid off your house at 21 or 22 almost. Yeah. Yeah. Back then it was cheap to build. I built it for a hundred thousand dollars and I uh, bought the ground from mom and dad pretty cheap. Uh-huh. So it was a lot cheaper than it is now. Nowadays it would cost three times that to do it. Wow. That's so, hindsight. 2020. Yeah. It made a good decision there. Yeah. Yeah. Contractors are all slow and work cheaper back then. So uh, <laughs> we had about half of savings and then we got the long rest in the next year. Uh, we just worked, worked all the time and paid it off. So that's crazy. That's, that's that, huge. So that really helped us get it started. We put a line of credit against the house and used that for equity to buy the, the first farm. Mm-hmm. So 
so yeah. And so when you bought that, obviously having, uh, having the opportunity to not have a house payment of that young as well, I feel would, would set yourself up to have a lot of confidence to go in and actually buy a farm and basically, Hey, instead of a house payment, we have a farm payment right now. Is that kind of what your guys thought process was? Yeah. Yeah. It was about the same money. So we traded one to the other. I don't want to pay off. So that, that made a big difference. Mm-hmm. Everybody had their, their house paid off. They'd have a lot more farms, I imagine. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's usually people's uh, biggest expense. How much did you borrow against your house? Was it all 80% of it or did you do less than that? Yeah, we used the house for uh, whatever we need for the 20% down. Okay, gotcha. Okay. So then when you bought this 100-acre farm, how close was it to your house? It was about two and a half hours. Okay, so it was a little bit of, how'd you find that deal? Um, just online. I was, I just like decided one day I was going to buy a farm. So I pulled up the laptop, found two places, two farms straight north of me around Moberly, Missouri. And uh, they both look like what I could afford. They're both about 100 acres, about 120 or 220,000 each of them. So I went up there and the one had an old trailer and utilities on it. And uh, I didn't look at them. I seen that one. And that was like the only farm. I looked at two or three farms, but that was about it. In uh, Missouri, the northern counties all have four point rule. So that's why I wanted to be there because the hunt was better. Okay. So around us, uh, they took that away with CWD and they shoot the deer all year round, basically. So the hunt's a lot better up there. So that's why I ended up there. It was about a hundred acres, uh, paid two fifteen, I think, for it. And uh, so now that's now the ground would be worth, you know, five or six hundred thousand. Just because yeah. so much the last couple of years, I'm sure you know how it is. Yeah, that's crazy. So when you bought that farm and it's already worth five or six hundred thousand, do you regret selling that at all? Um, no, not really. When I went to, I finally, it was a hard decision, but I told uh, my dad and my brother, I got a younger brother, we're real close. I said, man, I think I'm going to sell my farm. And because uh, I was doing the trees for about five years and I was kind of getting tired of it, it made good money, but I was, I wanted to do something else. I didn't want to do that forever. You know, it was hard. It was hard work, hard on my body. And uh, I could tell I, there was like a ceiling. You weren't going to go big with it just because mm-hmm. the workman's comp and you have to have so many guys. So I told my dad and brother, like, no, you better not sell. That's good farm. And I said, well, there's bound to be more good farms out there, you know? So, and I knew, and I was watching the market enough, I knew the, the land prices were going up. So, uh, so we decided to list it because we kind of got to the point that uh, we're making payments at about $2,000 a month. And after first, we had about four, maybe five years. And by the end there, uh, we were just kind of getting tired of making land payments for something we used. You know, by then we were already having kids. So we we're only using two or three weeks out of the year. Mm-hmm. And I thought maybe, maybe we'll get into rental or something else and then get back into land, you know, in the future. Mm-hmm. So, yes. how, how many people did you have when you're when you're running the tree service business? How how big of a team did you have? It was pretty small. I always just had one, maybe two guys working for me. Yeah, I kind of just did all the work. It's so dangerous. I did all the work and just paid, you know, usually a high school kid or a young guy to work for me about uh-huh. full time. Mm-hmm. That was about it. So I kept all the profits, but I was never going to go big with it. You know? Yeah, yeah. You just kind of owned a job, is is what we say around here. It's like yeah, you own your own job, which is not always cool. But um, so you who'd you? How did you go about hiring an agent to sell that farm? So you decided you wanted to sell it. Who'd you who'd you hunt up and list have it listed? Well, I I'd, I'd seen another farm for sale up in that area, and it had a house with it, and it said on there um, that the ground could bring in so much in income. So I ran the numbers, and I thought the farm could about pay for itself. So I went and looked at it, and the listing agent name was Clay Lochner, and uh, it had a bad crack in the foundation of the house. And uh, I asked him, I said, "Well, what do you think this would bring in for cash rent?" He's like, "I'll be honest with you." He's like. The numbers that the landowner is saying, he's like, he's like, I want to go off them. You know, he kind of told me, you know, be careful. Mm-hmm. And so I said, okay, you know, didn't buy it. And uh, by a year or two later, I went to the list. I thought I'm going to call Clay because he was, you know, very honest. honest. Yeah, straightforward. You know, honest. I thought he'd be telling me not to buy a farm. You know, he'd be the guy to list through. So I listed through him. He sold it in a couple of weeks and I've used him a lot up in that area. So I really mm-hmm. like him. He's a good guy. So the biggest attribute to re- the reason you wanted to hire him was just being a straight shooter. Yeah, straight shooter, you know, and he's one of the guys, he's full-time, you know, I, I really like the guys through white properties just because they're all full-time guys and they do a, a quality job. Mm-hmm. So whether I go to Iowa, Illinois, wherever, I usually just go to white properties because I can count on them. You know, mm-hmm. the job, you know, as long as they yeah. answer a phone or a call, I can, you know, <laughs> I just don't want an agent that's going to do it part-time and not answer a phone, this and that, you know, my yeah. wife's an agent. And so I know okay. all about it, but, uh, uh-huh. but on that stuff like that, especially out of state, you know, we just go through somebody that we know that's, that's good. You can count yeah. on them. Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. So you ended up selling that farm in a couple of weeks. So you owned it for four or five years. You bought it for two fifteen. What'd you end up selling it for then? I think about two eighty. Okay. Yeah, about two eighty, maybe two ninety. So we made we made like sixty, seventy thousand plus all the, the year. Yeah, yeah plus the cash year. principal you already had into it as well. 
yeah, yeah. We kept another year or two. We would made a lot more, but um, so we sold it and then started buying rentals. I finally met my mind to buy some rental houses. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of wanting them. I always loved the idea of rental houses just because you just keep buying them. And uh, when they're paid off, you got a place paid off, it goes up in value, mm-hmm. cash flow, you know. And I was kind of needing a tax break. And uh, people tell me, yeah, they help on taxes. So and I just talked to a few guys. I had a few. I didn't really have any mentors or anything. Just talked to a few people. I thought, well, I'm just going to try it. Mm-hmm. So that year we sold the farm in like February, I think. And then we bought about 10 places that first year. And looking back, they were terrible buys. Like I would never buy them now. <laughs> what made them terrible? Stuff. Like this well, bad cash flow? Or- I just paid too much for them. Yeah, they didn't make a lot of money. They made like, one was like a triplex. And, I, and it was nice and newer. And I paid like 200000 for it. Another fourplex, same thing, 224. And I bought two or three older houses and they made cash, tons of cash. You know, I paid like mm-hmm. 50000 for two houses and thirty for another one. And then they made tons of money. I thought, well, I don't really have to have really nice places to make money on rentals, you know. Mm-hmm. I just assume not knowing that you'd have to have really nice places to have good renters, and that's not really the case. So yeah, talk about that a little bit. So you bought some some multifamilies and you bought a single fam those single family cheaper homes cash yeah. flowed better. And so how did you and same amount of, I guess, uh headaches or thoughts, like you still got good renters in there? Yeah, yeah. Uh two or three of them first single family homes got the same renters that were there when I bought them. And, oh wow! Uh, the one person I've never heard from since. Like every now and then, I'm, I'll have a maintenance bill, but like it's perfect renter. Got new roofs on from a hailstorm, but yeah, they're great. And the other places, you know, the nicer places, I could sell them and make money on all of them. Of course, you know, last few years has been hard to screw up in real estate. Yeah, but uh, so I I can't regret anything. But it's been it's been you know everything's just gone by, so it's been hard to mess up. Yeah, so everyone looks year, everyone looks real smart right now. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, it's real easy to do. So. But uh, yeah, first year we bought 10. Next year, we bought 10 more. And then Jeez. the next year, we probably bought about 10 more. And the fourth year, which is about last year, I think. Uh, then we bought about 100 so last year. That's, I mean, that's, you, you say so nonchalantly, like buying 10 units, you know, like 10 doors a year. What what was going on? Were you still running the tree service business? Or were you just scaling it, borrowing against the other ones? Or just breaking yeah, it down for someone that has no clue? I was kind of doing about three things at once. I was doing tree work about full time. I'd work from six in the morning to about two in the afternoon. And then from two on, once it got too hot to work in the summer, I would do rental after that. So I would either look at places, do maintenance or cut grass or whatever it was. And I'd work till five in the evening. So basically doing two jobs for about five years to do it. But at the same time, we we're also, after we sold the farm that that year, we bought a small piece, did some work to it. And the neighbor had a neighbor there that had a bunch of dogs and his son uh, baited deer. And so it wasn't real great. So after that first year, I was like, I don't think I want to keep it. So I sold it and got a really good deal on 12 units. Um, like the people sold it like real cheap. I just got kind of inside deal on through the realtor before she listed it, paid a hundred grand for something. For, for 12, 12 units. Unit? Yeah. And it brings in like 5,000 a month. So it was just a phenomenal deal. Oh my so, gosh. So there's been two or three deals like that along the way that had so much profit that I could you know, I can afford now to sit on 1200 acres and they make the payments part. Why, you know, resell some or keep part of it. So that's did been you, a big deal. When you started this, did you ever imagine that was possible? I knew it was possible. I just never really thought I'd get there. You know, I just, and, uh, I, that's why I like real estate so much or rentals because there's no cap. You know, if you want to buy more rentals, you know, just get the money or get the equity and buy more. So, you know, if you want to have half a million dollars a year in retirement, that's fine. You just got to buy, you know, a hundred houses or whatever it takes. Yeah. So that's why I always loved the idea of it. But one thing I did right was I, from the very first one, I didn't want to deal with the renters because I heard so many horror stories. So I just hired a management company to do it. Right off the start. Right off the start. And I mean, so many people, I tell my brother, I said, I think rental houses are number one failing business in America just because everybody does themselves. They get burned out or they never get enough. You know, they just get a couple and it's a big pain in the butt or they get like five or six. Um, it's, it's a great deal, but you got to get a bunch of them, you know, to really make, make a bunch of money, but you can't do that. You can't, have a family, work a full-time job, plus manage a bunch of rentals. So in my opinion, having a management company, don't do it unless there's a management company that'll manage in that town or take care of them for you. So how many hours a week are you spending on your, you have over, you have almost hundred doors, right? Correct. At that time. Well, how many do you have now, right now? Uh, we're over 200. Oh my gosh. Okay. So, so how much are you, oh. with 200 doors, how many are, like how many hours are you spending a week on managing those 200 doors? Um, I don't know. Maybe like, five or six that's uh-huh. not a whole lot like i do quite a bit now just because i'm remodeling a big apartment building uh we bought 30 units one building was remodeled the other one needed about everything so almost done so i go up there every day and check on the guys take up material 
Mm-hmm. And uh, so I do a little bit more now, but once this is done, I'll probably be down to like five to 10 hours a week. Yeah. But wow. I've gotten pretty good at uh, delegating and, you know, just getting the managers to do, do what they're paid to do, you know. How far are all these units from each other? Is it, is they're it right with, where you're at? They're all within an hour of me. Okay. That's about as far as a management company will manage. So, and I look, I look across the state, you know, I'd buy stuff in Kansas city or St. Louis. I just, I haven't found any deals real great there. You can find the best deals in your hometown where you know the people and you know what's happening. I, I, I advertise now for off market. I got signs, mailings. So any multifamilies that come on market, I usually know about them. I made an offer before they go to the market. Okay. So that helps. That helps too. But keep How them many, locally. Are you buying a lot of those off market by sending those mailers and making those relationships? Yeah. Last year we did way over half were off market. Wow. Yeah. You know, this year. Yeah. Yeah. Most of the stuff now we're down to like 70, 80% off market. You're killing it, man. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. But anyhow, when we sold that first farm, started buying rentals, um, I started flipping land too. So mm-hmm. I'd buy a farm and then resell it. And I kept wanting to keep a piece of myself just because I love land. I kept telling myself, just keep flipping, you know, don't get don't get locked into nothing too quick. So the first couple of years I sold one or two farms a year. They were making decent money, learned a lot, you know, kind of got broke even on the first one. Well, the first one made money, second one broke even. Next one made decent money, 30 grand, but I was hoping to make a lot more. Why didn't you make a, as much as you thought? Um, I had a farmhouse on it in 100 acres, and uh, I thought I'd sell the farmhouse in 10 acres. Had a nice driveway, a couple little ponds, a couple barns. I thought I'd get like at least 140 of it, and I had like 50 people look at it before I got an offer, and so I only sold it for like 110. It was real oh, wow. surprising. Was it the condition? Farm. Was it the condition of the farmhouse, or what? What made it? I mean, it wasn't too bad. The basement had a bad crack in it. Uh-huh. Um, but that, that's the same thing. It was right before the real estate went through the roof. It was like the a year before. Like if I had it now, I could sell it for twice that, you know, without a problem. Yeah. So it's just a little early. And I made some money. And another thing was a survey. Mm-hmm. Uh, now everything I buy, I buy it on a per survey acre. And uh, we split the survey with the, whoever's selling it usually. Mm-hmm. And so we know exactly what we're getting. And then I already got a survey when I resell. Mm-hmm. But that one, all the corners were staked good. I looked on X and I thought, yeah, this is... You know, this is the acres they said, well, in the middle, there's a line that bumped way up from like an old railroad track. Uh, and so I lost, I lost maybe 10 acres at 3,000 acres. So there's another 30 grand. That was the same and, deal? Yeah, same place as the apartment house. So that really hurt the, hurt the deal there. But uh, so you, thought you're, the, you thought you were going to pull about 90 or 100 off of it. And then yeah, that's what there. I thought. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's what I thought. It was on the market forever. And I lowballed them pretty hard and they're ready to sell. So I thought, well, I'll make, you know, I'll make pretty good on it. But I killed a couple bucks off of that fall. So. <laughs> yeah, that you know that, that always helps sting of uh, maybe not doing as well as you thought. So, I mean, so how many farms have you bought and sold then? Um, probably about ten now. Ten. And 12, yeah. What would be something you would share to someone that is wanting to buy their first farm, and you know they just don't know, they don't have the experience as you. So, what would be something that you would tell them to really make sure you have to check? Um, as far as the farm they want to have and keep. Uh, maybe just one that they want to buy and maybe they want to keep it. Maybe they'll want to sell it in a couple of years. They're just not positive. Yeah. If, if it was me, I would just buy it, try to buy it for a great price. Cause a lot of farms I bought, I thought were going to be great. And you got a neighbor of dogs or they don't turn out. So try to buy them right. Don't overpay, save all your trail camera pictures, always add value, you know, put in trails, keep, uh, try to put in some food plots if you can at a, mm-hmm. you know, kind of a cabin. Like I'd put a, a $15,000 cabin on them, finish the inside. And that really helped them sell. I don't know if I made much money on them, but they sold really fast. I would actually just get like a garden shed. You see them all over. I'll get one that kind of looks like a cabin full porch, have it delivered to my house, finish the inside of it in the evenings, and then pay them to haul it to the farm. Uh, and then pick up. usually I try to get it with like an electric close by. Uh-huh. So that's what I did with that one that had that farmhouse on it. So that's what I did on the first few. Now I don't do that anymore because the market's so good. I don't really have to. I just got to uh-huh. buy it right. But for somebody buying the first place, just make sure they get a good deal. And be adding value, you know, all uh-huh. the time. If you can do that and hold it a few years, you'll make, you know, you'll make money on it. Yeah, that's that's good advice. I haven't, I've never even considered, you know, doing the the twelve thousand dollar garden house, finish it out in the inside, and then it's a place to crash for people. That's a yeah, pretty sharp idea. What's been the feedback of folks that ended up buying those farms? I mean, obviously, you you, you had what was the feedback through the agent when was it? Man, they really loved the that, that there was a spot to crash or a place to store stuff. Yeah, yeah, that. And honestly, the trail camera pictures. I sold a piece in southern Missouri this year. It was 370 acres. I guess I sold it in the last year. And I, I put out corn piles and salt licks, and I keep going all the time. And uh, they're all legit pictures. I had some really nice deer on it. 
And uh, one guy bought it from New York, never even came out and looked at the place. The um, same picture way did some, it. Other stuff. Pictures so pictures are a big deal. Same way with that first farm. You know, I had all the pictures and I just tapped them on the wall in the cabin. And, you know, it was uh, awful. A good trail camera pictures, you know. I like so, that idea, too. Because then they, yeah. when, they're, when they're checking out the farm, they're like, well, check out this. And then they're like, oh, yeah, look at all the different deer. Because, yeah. I mean, seeing is believing. That's what I always say. So it's like to, to know for sure these are the deer yeah. here. And it's like, well, you can even – I always love it, too. Because, I mean, there is a stigma, I think, of people putting up, putting up their defense of, like, are these pictures really from the farm? Yeah. And for whatever reason, I mean, whatever. But – when you have those pictures and you can tell and match it up to a landmark on the farm, like, yeah. you know, here, here's a picture with a giant rub to the side and here, like, then when you're walking the farm, like there it is. I think that's really important. Have you ever tried to do that when you're taking those pictures of this? So they're not generic backgrounds. No, not really, but I always make sure I got a bunch of different pictures of the same buck. If I got 150 inch deer, I'll try to have four or five different pictures of them. You know, I've even seen listings and I hear all the time people like, well, you know, how do you know they're not putting up a pictures off the internet or whatever, you know, are you good? I'm like, yeah, you could, but, I wouldn't feel right doing yeah. it. And like, I even seen like uh, Bill Winky. I seen a listing one day and had his G4 buck was in the listing. And I was like, well, that's obviously not even on there. But uh, I don't know. The <laughs> it was on a different have, farm. Like, it was a fake, like a, someone put that on there disingenuously. Yeah, I seen it was a farm for sale. Yeah. A year or two ago. And they had one of Bill Winky's bucks on it. So it was obviously oh was from that farm. But uh, yeah, whenever I see a listing and they'll have a bunch of dinks and like one really big deer, one picture, I'm like, yeah, I don't know. You know, yeah, but, uh, you can kind of tell the good farms. They got good bucks. They'll have a bunch of, you know, a bunch of good bucks. So I try to get multiple pictures, usually over Salt Lake. So I can say, Hey, here's, here's where they're taking that, mm-hmm. you know, but, uh, so, so truck camera, truck camera pictures are a big deal, you know, for resale and save them all. I keep them all on a file now on my laptop. Yeah. So I got them and got good clear pictures of them. You need to run some Exodus cameras. I got to do yeah, a hard plug yeah. here. <laughs> Send me some. <laughs> yeah. uh, so would you say truck camera pictures are one of the biggest things? to really be careful with when you're buying a farm with some potential um, intention of selling it down the road of having that catalog ready to turn over. Yeah, I think so. Like that farm down South, I sold, made pretty good money on it. And I know, I mean, it was rough up and down, steep, rocky, been logged. Uh-huh. And I know without the truck and pictures, I was planning on getting beaten up pretty hard on that piece. And it's well, so far. So talk, yeah, t- talk about that. Cause I think some people are scared to buy those types of farms because they're ugly. Um, so when you found that, did you log it or was it already logged when you bought it? It was logged when I bought it. I make most of my money off of terrible realtors. Like the guys that never go out there, they just take a blurry outline picture of Google uh-huh. Earth. And they list it because the two ladies go out there buying one in Illinois or Iowa now. The realtor, oh, really? It's like two big muddy double bulls blinds on it. He didn't even know it. Or the big fiberglass ones, you know? Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, like this one down south, it was just an outline photo. And I thought, man, for the price... It's too good of a deal. So I drove down there. There's a huge shop on it, a big green shop with big lean tooths. I called the realtor. I said, this with it? He's like, yeah, they said one shop goes. He didn't even know it was on there. So we we made a deal. And most of the stuff, I'm just buying it, buying it right. You know, I watch yeah. I watch five or six states every day. Maybe spend an hour a day looking. And uh, if something comes on the line this evening, I'll be there in the morning you know, mm-hmm. to look at it. So I try to be the first one there and get a good offer in, if not pay full price to get it. Basically, I just I just try to buy them, buy them good, you know, buy them way under value. So, yeah. uh, the back market, cause I don't try to get rich off them. I don't, you know, if top of the market's 4,000 acre, I don't try to sell there. I like to sell at 3,500 acre or even three, you know, I like move to on to the next one. Move them pretty quick. Yeah. But you got yeah. buying right. Yeah. So what, I mean, what are you doing right now? Cause everyone feels, I mean, the market, as you mentioned, has been really strong here lately. I mean, you're, are you still buying right now? Yeah. I just closed last two weeks. I closed on 280 acres in Iowa. And that the one with the, with the two blinds on it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's all in WRP. So you can't do much, but it's, I'm going to relist it for like 2,200 an acre. So it should sell. It's like the realtor, I called the realtor and, uh, and uh, he wasn't listening to anything. And I said, Hey, I, I just bought this farm. I want you guys to go out there and take pictures and relist it. He's like, you think you can relist it after you just bought it? I said, I've been doing it for a long time. I said, should be fine. I said, there's nothing else in Iowa cheaper. You know, there's nothing else in Iowa really under 2,500 an acre. Yeah. So, and I said, I got great trail camera pictures. I put out, it's kind of a funny deal. I found it back like around uh, December, went out there, put a contract on it, um, put out trail cameras, corn paws, and left, went to Africa for two weeks, came back and pulled them, had probably 160 inch buck and some other nice up and comers. So I got 12, 13 point mm-hmm. three year old. So great pictures. And then um, found out it was in WRP, but it was like a tree planting where you can't do any food plots, no brush hog, you know, nothing. 
So I decided to drop the contract. So I dropped contract for two months and then was looking one night in Iowa and I was just stupid high. You know, there's like most of the stuff selling for hunting land is like four to 5,000 acres. I think it's just kind of a supply and demand issue. There's not much there for sale. Yep. I thought, man, maybe. So I called the realtor and I said, hey, is that place for sale still? Because it showed pending. He's like, yeah, it's still for sale. And uh, not much, I haven't had much interest on it, you know. Well, it's because it was pending from when I had it before. And he never <laughs> pending. So that was, that was a caliber of realtor that was there, you know. So I, I lowballed him a little more and got a deal on it again. Um, so just buying it, buying it right, you know. What you, do you want to share what you bought it for? Per acre. Um, per acre. I think it was like 1,200, 1,500 acre. And you plan on, on listing for 2,250? Yeah. Ish. Yeah. And it's kind of a, it's kind of between, there's a river that cuts along the boundary, the one side. So it shows 280 acres, but they're actually about 240 acres of land mass. So oh, I think I'm going to lose ground there. So, so we're going to list that two 240, something like that. Tell them what the deal is. And yeah. uh, so I'm kind of losing, I'm losing ground there too. Yeah. So, but I still think I try to make at least six, 700 bucks an acre. Okay. I do. Of course, the bigger pieces, the better. Yeah. So, and another way, another way, if you, uh, if you could stomach it, I've had farms. I got one down Rolling Island, the other one down South. And uh, if you can, like I've had two or three places that if you can split two or three ways and sell two thirds, you can keep, you know, 80 or a hundred, you know, paid off like that one down South. I could have kept that 150 after I sold the other two pieces and, you know, the bank note was paid off when I sold them first two. So I've had one of those about Dallas. Me and my buddy bought one in Illinois. We're going to keep together. I was going to do that. Um, it was 280 acres, but terrible listing too. Been on market a long time. So they came down about 70,000. So I bought it. And my plan was the front hundreds log it or sell it and let them log it. It had nice timber on it. And there's a piece across the river. I was going to uh, sell it to about 50 acres. And the piece in the middle I wanted because it was a great pinch point in there. So I went in there bow hunting and had phenomenal, phenomenal season. Shot two bucks, hunted like three days. Shot two good bucks. My buddy came in there, Skyler, and uh, he shot 100, and almost 150 inches seven pointer. Wow! And I told him after that, I said, "Man, if you want to go in with me on a farm, I'll just keep the whole thing." So that's what we did. It worked out good. But that one there, you know, I could have sold the two pieces and kept the one. I don't, mm-hmm. you know, place out of state that was really good bow hunting. That's I just I love I love hearing this because I think some people think that these opportunities are long gone because you hear older people talk about the good old days. And people oh, yeah. don't realize that there's opportunities right now. You just have to go out there and hunt them and, and work hard for them. So that's, yeah. would you agree with that? Like, obviously you're doing it. Oh yeah. Nobody just wants to spend an hour a day looking, but yeah. I've put most of my farms I bought were all like around 2000 acre or less. Uh-huh. You know, that's Illinois, Missouri, which is pretty unheard of. Even Iowa, you know, that's pretty unheard of. So, mm-hmm. you know, their deals are there. You just got to hunt hard for them. A lot of times there'll be bad listings on Zillow, stuff like that. I check, mm-hmm. you know, I just check several websites a day but a lot of times it'll be bad just a local realtor listed through zillow or uh, realtor.com or something like that that doesn't show up on anything else yeah have you bought any land from an actual land brokerage like have you bought anything from a whitetail properties or a major land broker or have they all yeah they brought me two deals the one i just bought in southern missouri um Mm -hmm. and then one in iowa both those they called me and said hey this one's coming to market and the one in illinois illinois and missouri man the one in Illinois, it was on the market for a year, a year or two ago. Came off the market and it was like old expired CRP that had been cleared. And I never went and looked at it. I just assumed it was pretty rough. She's so like, no, you ought to go look at it. So he showed to me before they relisted it. And I said, yeah, this is a really nice farm. So I bought it. And that same guy actually got it under contract before I listed it again for about, you know, somebody from Florida bought it. So I didn't see They came up and looked at it and said they like it. But, you know, there's in, the, in Southern Illinois, there's a lot of people come up from the Southern states. It seems like fine. Everything yeah. sold from down there because the economy's so, uh, relative so, relatively soft down there. I mean, I'm I'm up I'm up further north. I'm kind of I have the Chicago trickle down, not necessarily the southern folks coming north. Would you agree yeah. with that? I mean, you're you're oh, out yeah. state there. Yeah, around on average, there's like two to three thousand acre. Most of it's around twenty five hundred an acre. But yeah. you can buy it for two and sell it for three. That's a good deal. Yeah, I mean that's a thousand bucks. Um, so I mean, what? Obviously, you're looking at Missouri. You're looking at Iowa. You're looking at Illinois. Are those pretty much the three states you consistently check? Those are the ones I bought in. I check in Nebraska, Kansas, and uh, Western Kentucky. I'd like to buy one in Kansas and hunt out there this year. Yeah, my brother, we go out there and hunt public land, and it's great. Public land is kind of getting old ran, but he shot a one nineties and a one sixties on public land in Kansas. So wow, it's really good. That's really we good. turkey hunt out there for years when we were younger, and the locals were killing. They didn't let us deer hunt; just turkey hunt, and they were killing some giants, just you know, shooting all the arm truck when they're feeding cows or whatever in the fall. Yeah, um, during season, we're like, man, we need to try this. Went to public land the first year. Uh, he sh- we took a canoe and went down a river and started doing pushes in gun season. He shot 195 inch. 
That is so cool. Mm-hmm. Next year, my buddy shot 140 in the same spot, and then we found a new place that was really good, and he shot 160s out of it. So I had a lot of fun out there. It kind of dried up. The lake flooded for two years, and everything died, and it all came back in vines. So that spot kind of went bad. So, uh, But I'd like to find a piece out there to maybe 80 or 120 to hunt per year and then flip it. Yeah. So would you say owning all the rental properties and having that monthly cash flow has been one of the most important things for you to go and buy and sell farms as your kind of a side passion project? Yeah. Yeah. It's been huge. Like all the farms were flipping. Uh, I don't make payments on any of them now, the rentals do. So, so it's been nice. It's been great. And I'm not saying you can't buy land without it, you know, yeah. usually you could, you know, but in order to, to get a big piece or do quite a bit, it helps a lot. You know, how, and, how, and how old are you too, for people to know? I just turned 30. <laughs> I so started got- the tree business when I was 19. So most of my twenties, you know, if a person can, there's a young guy that bought my tree business this year. And I told him, I said, man, if you work hard in your twenties and make a lot of good decisions, you know, you can set yourself up in life. Yeah. So what but would Elon, what Elon would be Musk some- says, if you uh, plan on retiring at 65, you will, if you plan on retiring at 30, you know, you do that. So kind of the same way. I just plan on retiring early and, you know, get it done. So if you move up your goals, you know, to five years from now, instead of 20 years from now, you can get more done. I love that. Yeah. I, I know exactly the quote you're talking about. So what, we have a variety of people that listen to this, but a lot of them are, I would say, uh, between, I'd say 20 and 50, but most of them are probably between 20 and 35. So what, what advice would you give specific, like any specific advice you would give them to emulate some of the success that you've had? Just work hard? Yeah. Yeah, just go hard. I mean, honestly, I mean, the biggest pair gets, you know, gets it done. If you got the balls to do it, just go, go for it. You know, it's like I told Austin, the guy that bought my tree business, I said, you have nothing to lose. You rent a house. You got three trucks. I said, what's the bank going to take from you? You know, you can always buy another truck. I said, just go all in before you have kids and stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, just, just go all in and find something that there's not a ceiling in, you know, like I wasted several years doing the tree work and there's really no ceiling. I can make a hundred thousand a year, but uh, you're never really going to that or you're not going to grow a big business that you can sell one day. Mm-hmm. So find something that you can really grow and take off on it. And another way to buy land, like I got multiple buddies, me and my younger brother, my other brother, they all sell stuff. Like I got a buddy that sells uh, bank spines out of his house. Another buddy, he sells uh, seed. Like he buys and resells seed. Uh, another one does used cars and four-wheelers. My other brother does, uh, he has a tax a shop. And then they all make probably over 20000 a year on their side gigs. Mm-hmm. You know, with Facebook Marketplace now, you can resell so much stuff. You know, if you can, if you can make, you know, 20000 a year on a side gig, that'd make a, a good farm payment, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Let me do, what's the math come out of that a, a month? 20k divided by 12 or like 1800 miles something like that uh 1600 1666.6667 so i mean that that and i mean that's a every bit of a 300 and some thousand dollar mortgage on a farm yeah and then yeah. if you have a little income off the farm how important is it for you when you're prospecting these farms for a half to have income or is it not that important it's just buying it right knowing you can get out it's of not it. important to me because you're not going to get a good deal uh, uh-huh. i kind of specialize in hunting farms you know that's kind of what my niche in my opinion, public land got really popular, but I think that'll phase out when people realize how hard it is to hunt public land. Because I've done it, you know, I still do. Me and a big group of buddies go deer driving every year on public land, have a blast. But public land's tough, and it's getting tougher. So I think I think buying your own land to hunt on is going to be a big deal for for a long time. That was and a lot I of have this, same exact thought. Yeah, a lot of this recreational land it's selling just as high as anything. You know, it'll sell stuff in Calhoun, Pike County, Illinois. It'll sell just as high as you know, most farm land and stuff like that so it's not a big deal if i can find something that's got timber i'll have it appraised and mm-hmm. put that in the listing too but that's pretty rare you know it's rare to find something that's good real crop land or good crp that's not listed extremely high yeah because i think so many people look for that income or they or or yeah. brings in a different type of buyer too um as well yeah. that's very interesting so hmm what's your do you ever do you ever get nervous like you're over leveraged you, i mean what's uh, your you just get used to it, I guess. So <laughs> okay. not, not really. <laughs> no? So you don't get nervous? No, not really. Um, some people are conservative, and I'm just not. Like, I got friends, you know, like, it stresses them out having a big home payment. Or, you know, like, even talking to me stresses them out. And I'm just not, like, wired like that. Like, I, I think about risk, but I just look for a good risk in life, honestly. Like, just, you know, a good opportunity is all I look for. You know, I don't really worry too much about it. Do you so. bank? Do you bank with one bank for all these deals, or do you shop around? Yeah, I got a local bank, um, good friends with the loan officer, and uh, that's been a huge deal. You know, they uh, they'll stick, they'll keep loaning me money, 
Um, so a good local bank, you know, and I don't have to worry about them. Like when uh, uh, COVID started and everybody just locked down for like a month or whatever it was, I went and talked to a bank president. I said, hey, you guys like really talk about what, you know, as landlords can do if like nobody went to work and everybody just quit paying the rent all at one time. He's like, yeah, we talked about it. And if you don't want to make payments for six months, we'll put it on the backside of the loan. You know, you can make, you know, just loan goes six months. Like six months. Or six yeah, months. Yeah. Wow. And I don't think you're going to have a big bank tell you that, you know. So I like having a small bank. They know your name. You know who they are. They know your kids. And that's been great, you know. And they've treated me great. And like even on these big land deals, like if I'm buying a piece, let's say you bought a 300 acre farm, you're going to sell 200 and keep 100. You know, like my bank, um, I'll just ask them like, hey, can you give me six months a year interest only? Will I flip it or whatever? I do interest only on all my stuff, all my land. So that cuts your payment almost in half. So you can make something work if you want to sell off a piece, you know, doing that. So what happens? That's really interesting. So break that down for break that down on a kindergartner level of interest only on a six or twelve month note. Um, well, usually when I'm flipping it, they know what I'm doing. You know, I'll just say, "Hey, I'm buying 200 acres in Illinois to flip. Uh, let me do a year interest only on it, and then uh, so my payments half what I sit on it." Mm-hmm. And and a lot of people, I got the idea because a lot of big guys do it on apartment buildings. They'll buy it do interest only for the first year while they remodel it. And so they're not losing money. A lot of times your rentals, you'll lose money first year. If you got a you know, month or two vacancies, you're doing work to this or that. Uh, so that's kind of where I got the idea from the rental stuff. So rental houses. So that's why I just moved over to land and said, hey, we do the same thing there. And they're like, yeah, that's great. So I can buy twice the ground as long as I'm moving it. You yeah. Know, you just got to be careful. I feel like we peaked out. Like all this information might be use, useless whenever interest goes to 10 or 12%. Yeah. And Is that where you think it's going to go more. to? I don't know. I mean, I'm hearing all kinds of stuff. The other day, I, I was watching something on Fox, and they said uh, to stop inflation, they're gonna have to go above the inflation rate. Great, which so is that's at nine. Yeah, nine now. So I was like, I was hoping, I was hoping, and telling people, I was like, yeah, I think it will stop around seven, something like that. I'm at six now already at my local bank. Mm-hmm. I was hoping seven or eight, but I think it'll probably go higher than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you think, what do you think that does to the land market? I think it's just gonna slow way down and become dead like rentals the last two months i haven't bought anything because everybody everybody got on board of thinking the stuff's worth a million dollars and then when rates double um there's no money in it even if you got a great deal there's still not much money me and my brother looked at seven units south of here and it would have been a good deal a year ago but with rates doubling there's just no profit in it so like it's not even worth messing with so i think rentals are going to come to a complete stop until a year or two from now whenever people decide they're going to ask less to sell the property mm-hmm. So, okay. so I'm just kind of just kind of stacking cash right now. I'm actually selling uh, about a dozen rentals, dozen units, doors, um, three fourplexes, and a couple single-family homes. Just putting cash in the bank, and I'm hoping on the back side of this, um, either I'm hoping either if money, if I can make money, if the deals make sense at the top of the interest rate, they drop them down, then I can refinance or sell them, and it'll be worth a lot more. So what does that see? But I don't really think I'm on big buying. I was hoping to buy 100, 100 rental units this year, and I don't think I'll do near that. Just so you're just no stacking, stacking cash for more buying opportunities down the road. Yeah, yeah. I'm just not seeing any opportunities right now. So just wait and wait and not waste my money on marginal deals. So in the same thought process with land as well right now? I mean, Yeah, I- land. I, uh, my realtor is telling me it's still selling good. So these three pieces I had under contract, I was kind of on the fence. And I thought, no, I'll go ahead and try it. The one I got under contract for I listed. So I just got two. Now I'm going to flip. Um, there's that, that nice farm in Iowa and that nice farm in Southern Missouri. I'm going to list them hopefully within the next couple of weeks. So I'm hoping they'll get going and it'll get moving before money gets too tight. But I would think when rates go up to 10%, if they go that high, that nobody's really going to borrow for a while. Yeah. I, yeah, I should put a kind of a screeching halt to, to, I mean, we've seen just an incredible run. Period. Yeah, you can't. I mean, yeah. anyone you can't argue that. Like what we've seen has been incredible. Um, so obviously the parts got to get over at some point, but it doesn't. So do you think that prices don't necessarily retract anything crazy? To, I mean, what do you? What's your opinion? I don't think so. I think maybe a little bit on rentals, which is hopeful thinking. They'll probably retract a little bit. Want to sell. Yeah. For people that want to sell, they need to sell, they'll attract some there. But if a place is making money, you know, a landlord's not going to sell a mall, uh, apartment building just because the stocks are way down, Bitcoin's way down. They don't have a better place to put it. So they'll just leave it there. Mm-hmm. So I don't think, I don't think they'll go down a whole lot. Could be wrong, but they, I don't think so. I don't think we'll see an 08 again. That's what everybody's sitting around waiting for. And I don't think that'll happen. That's fair. But yeah. Just, 
they haven't built enough, in my opinion, to make up for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I still think there's a big housing shortage. Yeah, that's. I mean, the, the data the data shows that uh, for sure. It's it's just a weird time. Like I don't know. It's just it's very interesting. It's, it's, that's like as dumb as that is, or like how this boring. It's like the only thing I could say is it's interesting of what's going yeah. on. Oh yeah. yeah. So so how? Yeah, I know it's just always always gonna be changing. So figure yeah, it out. Absolutely. So break down a little bit more of like when you're looking for a piece of ground. You know, some of the big things that just to recap is that you're looking for properties that are undermarket or mismarketed, meaning they're just not being portrayed as they're as the as best as they could be. Yeah. What what else are you are you looking for different types of specific neighbors, large neighbors, small neighbors, good near dear neighborhoods, like anything out of the box that, that people might not consider? Um if I was buying, you know, my first farm again, I don't think you're gonna be in the you're not gonna be able it's hard to find a place that just has big neighbors around you that are all like minded for you know for super rare. Um like yeah, so Missouri, um, I'll try to go with Four Point County if you can. The northern counties, all that, and it's way better hunting. My brother has a taxidermist shop, and you know where the big deer are coming from. <laughs> That's know, nice. Uh, north or west, west of us, just because they're Four Point counties. So look for that. And my personal farm, so two farms I'm keeping. I got a nice one in Missouri and one in Illinois, and they both have really good funnels right in the middle of them. So every deer, every buck in that place, I can hunt there for four days, and I'll see every buck there, you know, in my opinion. You know, like in Illinois, I hunt there two full days and seeing all but one buck on the property. You know, it's probably seen 20 different bucks. So if I was buying a farm to keep, try to find something that has a good draw through it or good funnel. You know, the ones that are just square blocks of timber, they're, they're tougher. You know, you can still, you know, you can still kill bucks on, we've got a big lease south of here, just straight timber all up and down about 2000 acres. And uh, we've killed some good bucks on it, but it's tough. It's tough to pinch them down. You know, you got to really get lucky on them. So I like a really good pinch point. Um, just always be adding value to them because, you know, I think I've heard like on a recreational farm, it, most people only hold them about five or six years. So, you know, they, they either have a neighbor they don't like or they decide to put the money elsewhere. So I wouldn't plan on holding it for the rest of your life, you know, try to buy it right and add value. So do, do you think that, I mean, just, just your opinion, do you think it's best for someone to go buy a duplex, get that cash flow and get that rolling, resave? a down payment for a farm and, and use that duplex to help pay for the farm. Or like, do you think that's the best way to do it? It's been the best for us. Cause I did it both ways. I did it before it and uh, making payments out of your own pocket gets old after a while. Mm-hmm. Um, that worked good for us. You know, it's, it's definitely not for everybody. You, you kind of need time to have rental housing and stuff like that, where um, they take quite a work, but if you got time, um, you can do it in the evening. Uh, that's fine. You know, so it's been great for us, but I, I want to say it's for everybody. You know, it's kind of a mindset. Like I said, most people fail at rentals. So it's kind of a mindset. I've, I would say try it, you know, try the same thing there. Try to buy them right. Make sure they make money. You know, if you can, like my younger brother, Colton, he started buying rental houses a year ago. I think he's about 12 and he's making at least $200 a month after all the bills are paid on him. And so he's making um, probably just over 2000 a month on it. So that there, uh, and he's got loans on all of them and he's actually doesn't have any money into them either. So just there, he's making 2000 a month. He could afford a, you know, a nice little piece of land if he wanted to, that would pay for it if ourselves plus the houses are going up in value and paying themselves off eventually. Mm-hmm. So, but what he did there and uh, he bought, he built a nice house and the price, the value of stuff was going up so much. He reappraised it and pulled a line of credit against it for 80 grand. So he'd buy a house for 80,000 or under 80,000, do some work, have the bank reappraise it and put a newer loan on it for a bigger loan on it. So he'd get all his money back. So he just plays with 80,000, you know, and we're in an area where, it's a good area to have rental houses. There's some places, you know, on the East coast and West coast, they don't make any money at all. So do, is that just a product being more rural? Yeah. 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 So we don't, we don't appreciate real fast and value, but we have great cash flow. Cash. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of leaving now too. You know, a couple of years ago, that was a lot better, mm-hmm. but, uh, but you can still do it. How many months, how many months emergency, how many months do you have built up an emergency fund? <laughs> um, I don't know. Probably a couple of years. Okay. Just because, just because with the land, you know, for that was now that's just this year. Like before that, I didn't have much saved up. I'd keep putting everything into it. Mm-hmm. I'd always had a pretty good line of credit. I could felt like I could fall back on. But now with flipping, you know, I think I got like 1,300 acres right now. So I wanted to have quite a bit in the bank for that reason. But for a while there, I'd flip the land and then 1031 all the profit into an apartment complex or something like that. So I could put the uh, money down. So that worked out really good for buying a couple of bigger deals. I bought 25 unit apartment complex. And I'd sold a farm, made about a hundred thousand on it and put all that money down. So you make a little more money and then, you know, you get a big place like that. That's cash flowing. You know, that place there would make me about 40,000 a year, probably net. 
So makes makes a good return on it. Do you carry these properties in an LLC or what's your strategy? Uh, I'm talking yeah. about the land. Yeah. Is each the one land, an LLC? Yeah. Each one an LLC or do you just have them all? No, we got one LLC for land and one for the rental properties. Okay. You know, I kind of started having each one in their own LLC for liability reasons. But after talking to lawyers and insurance people like that, I just get more insurance. You know, I have a couple million dollars balloon insurance on it in case, you know, something happened. And they said that'd be better. So that's okay. what we do. Sure. That that makes sense. What what kind of improvements beyond the garden shed besides trail camera pictures? What other improvements are you making on some of these farms that you've uh, bought and sold? Like dirt um, I got a I got a skid steer and I got a brush hog for it and it'll cut down like a six inch, eight inch tree. I just drive like that a four seam mulcher? No, it's just a brush hog, but okay. it is a it's a bad machine. And I just yeah. drive through the woods and, and knock the trees down. I just go around the big ones. And so I'll make trails through most of the properties mm-hmm. around the boundary. Um, sometimes I think I need it. I'll put in a couple of food plots. I'll run a big piece of equipment from a local uh, rental store, dig them up yeah. and click a couple of food plots, plant those. Um, but once again, it all kind of comes back to how good of a deal I got. If I need to add a bunch of value or if I got it cheap enough, I can just put it right back on the market Yeah, and move it again. Hmm. So, but it's, but the way the market's been going up, it's been, it's been hard to screw up. <laughs> like yes. just, just getting yeah. bought right. You know, in the yeah. future, I think, and even now I'm thinking away, the market's kind of probably going to go down some. Uh, this farm in Rolla, the realtors, they told me, they're like, just list it again, over resell, you know, because I got a good buy on it. I'm like, well, I think I'm just going to, I put a, a timber entryway in, um, you know, something just cost me a couple hundred bucks. I cut some really big cedars and made an entryway and a gate. Uh, so I probably had or $300 into it and uh, poured rock, gravel in there. So I got a place to like, pull it in, put a camper up and there's a electric pole there. So add value. So it's nicer than the next piece down the road for sale that had nothing done to it, you know? Exactly. Yeah. So stuff that, that has stuff that helps helps yeah. that doesn't cost a whole lot so i've been doing lately yeah okay that makes sense um anything else beyond that like in terms of uh, making the improvements i mean none of it's really well, rocket kinda, science per se i've kind of kicked around maybe putting a lake on property i actually asked the one like a properties realtor um what he thought he thought food plots were better than a cabin or a lake but there's a little place for sale not far from me it's only like 40 acres and it sold for almost six thousand acre which is high for that area and it just had an acre and a half lake in the middle of it Mm-hmm. So I, uh, I kicked around maybe renting a little dozer or paying somebody to put a lake in a couple of them, you know, because uh, especially if it's up by the front where people can put a cabin or a can someone overlook it. Yeah. Enjoy it. Fish on it. Stock it. So if it, if it brought, if it cost me 20, 30,000 to build, I think I would get that back and more and it would sell faster. So yeah, I'm glad you bring that up. So some of these improvements, are you trying to get a dollar for dollar return or is it more so selling it quickly so you can move on to the next one? The cabins, they're like moving quicker. You know, because yeah. if I hold it, you know, you're paying a thousand bucks a month in interest. You know, you don't want to be sitting on them a couple of years. So I think you make a little bit, but they move a lot faster on like a cabin. Okay. Or maybe a lake like that would be the same thing too. So, yep. So, yeah, don't necessarily do it to get a 20% return on your dollar for dollar, but more so sell yeah. it quickly, you know, and have more people interested in it. Yeah. It's, it's just tough to know who's going to buy it. I had a farm down south and I split it three ways. One had a big, one piece had a big shop, another one was just some nice, bottom fields, creek bottom fields, hay fields, and then it's woods. And the other one was all woods. And they had 20 people look at it. And there's all kinds of reasons. One person said the ground was too rough. No one said it wasn't rough enough. One person wished the shop wasn't there. He would have dozed it down. And it just, you just never really know who. So do what you can. Put some work into it that isn't too expensive. And yeah. uh, it'll, it'll help. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. Man, I feel like uh, I feel like there's a lot to cover. Because there's, I mean, what what you've done, man, is really really impressive i mean um do you come does your family have like a extensive real estate background or did you just start on this journey and just start diving into it no i just started into it and i really liked it you know i just love it it's surprising like buying rental houses but i do i like buying land my dad owns a small well drilling business and even there you know like he had a business his own business most of his life and invested in a, in stocks but the family farm that grandpa passed down is worth a million dollars so just that right there shows you the real estate you know is worth more than you know, what, what, uh, they've done, you know, as far as investments in their business and stuff like that. So, so especially the last few years, but yeah, real estate, I just loved it. So went all in on it. What are some of your favorite, favorite sources of information? What podcasts, what books, who do you watch? Who do you follow? Um, as far as, uh, rental properties, uh, bigger pockets, they, you can learn anything you want on there. You know, if you want to flip houses, you want to flip apartments, you want to buy, you know, stuff to hold, whatever you want to do. You know, if you want to market, marketing, everything you want to know, you know, bigger pockets is a place to learn it. Mm-hmm. As far as land, I've kind of just learned it on my own, talk to realtors, stuff like that, asking what they think. And even there too, um, you know, their advice sometimes isn't really 
you know, isn't really, uh, you know, what I'm kind of, you know, it's not really what I'm asking, but. Uh, so a lot of, a lot of the land is hard knocks, doing deals, figuring things out, figuring out what works, what doesn't work, what, what are deal yeah. breakers and just yeah doing, doing deals. Yeah. Yeah. Main thing is just buy them right. You know, you gotta, what's, you gotta get what's your end, what's your end goal with land? I don't know. Never thought I'd get this far. If I, if you had told me last year, I'd have 300, over 300 acres this year, I wouldn't have believed you. So, uh, so I don't really have an end goal. I got a nice farm in Missouri and one in Illinois and I'm fine with that. I think. You're fine with that. And then, yeah. All right. Well, that, I mean, yeah, that's really cool. Um, yeah. I'm trying to I, I really, I really enjoy it. A buddy of mine, um, me and a buddy of mine, we started an organization building churches and doing wells in Africa. Mm-hmm. So uh, now I think I'm just going to turn kind of change to where put a lot of profit into that. And, uh, give me something to do. You know, I like to work. So give me something to, something to chase, I guess. So. Dang. Um, I mean, any, any other pieces of pieces of advice that you think that people should know or like something you, you wish people knew about buying and selling land that they might not. No, I mean, most of it's just getting out there and looking hard. Uh You know, I think, I think it's going to kind of be a weird time next year or two with interest rates being high, but I do think there'll be money. Cause I bet, my guess is once we get a different president in or the Fed wants to drop rates in the future to get the economy going again, uh, stuff will get kicked off again. So, you know, if you can buy it right, you know, eventually once they drop rates back down again, you know, it'd be worth a lot more or you can refinance and your payment be a lot lower. Mm-hmm. I really think like when I started buying rentals, rental properties, rates were around six, seven percent. And then when they dropped down, I refinance everything around uh, three and a half and my cash flow went way up. You know, I was yeah. paying several thousand a month more. So if I can do that again in the future, you know, I think, I think it'd be money past this, you know, higher interest rates. And I know other people that uh, they bought when stuff was really high back 16, 18% interest. And when it came down, they made tons of money. either Because no one else wanted to buy and, and service that. Yeah. 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 So people, would you say that's one of the biggest opportunity? It could be. If you can make money and can make your payments, um, I think there could be money once the rates come back down again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, but I would definitely wait a little while and let things cool, you know, see where rates are going to stop at and, see what, see what happens, but people get scared so easy. You know, you just kind of have a clear mind and, you know, be looking for opportunities on the backside. There'd be, there'd be plenty, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's all risk tolerance. I think it's something that you build up. I mean, would you say that your risk tolerance is greater today than what it was five years ago? Uh, no, I've always, I started my tree business. I had my leg in a cast. So I thought, well, I'm living at mom and dad's house. I don't know what, you know, if I fail, I'm still here. So so maybe it. a little bit, but I've always just been like this. So. We've all just been uh, roll the dice; it'll work out. Uh, what's meant yeah. to be is meant to be. Yeah, yeah. Just try it, and you know, just try and see what happens. So for sure. So when you're writing an offer on some of these farms too, um, like do, how often have you bought a farm, quote unquote, lowballing them, or is it more so just identifying a good deal and just like this is a good deal? I'm not going to beat them up on it. Let's just move forward. Um, if I'm lowballing them, it's something that's been on market at least three or four months a bad realtor, you know, I bought several pieces, you know, I'll loan pretty hard. You know, I'll just offer them same way with rental properties. You know, I'll offer them what I can make money on. If not, I move on. Yeah. You know, um, if it's something that comes on market, like the farm I'm going to keep in North Missouri, that I got, it's about almost 400 acres. Um, it came on market and I called them and went up and looked at it and I basically paid list price just because I knew it would sell. It would sell that day or the next day if I didn't. Mm-hmm. And now things are getting so we, we tried to buy a house to flip me and my younger brother. And we went 30,000 over list cash closed in two weeks and we still didn't even get it. Wow. So, so it's, it's getting tough. The housing and stuff around here is really tough to get, get bought, but yeah. uh, it just, just depends if it's been on market a while and I can get them come down enough to make money, I'll do that. But if it just comes on market today, you know, if it's a great deal, I'll just pay list price and get it under contract. Awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, what, yeah, that's, uh, I'm, I have, we're gonna have to have you on again. Cause I'm about to organize my thoughts now that I got, now that I know you have 200, 200 units and you have uh 1300 acres, you're 30 years old and started with, with zero units five years ago. I mean, that's really cool. Um, I think yeah. that's, uh, that's something really special. So I think, I mean, anything else you want to cover here today? I mean, I really enjoyed it. I learned the interest only payments was very, very interesting. I have not had anyone mention that here on the podcast yet. Um, and everything else of just the garden shed is something that no one's mentioned before. So there's some good stuff here today. Anything else? Yeah. Yeah. The little garden sheds, uh, I think you get your money back and make some of those. The people that do the big shops, you know, and sell a place for a million dollars, those seem like they sit for a long time. They do. In my opinion. Yeah. Uh, so I don't, I mean, if you want to keep a farm and put that on, that's great, but I wouldn't do it for resale, resale okay. value. You know, what about actual dirt work to put in roads? Like, let's say 
let's say access was okay, but if you put in a, I don't know, just something crazy, like a $15,000 road or access point. I've never done it. Uh, the piece I'm doing now, I'm splitting, and I just put a nice gravel driveway with them drive in there and unload their side by side, and the rest is just a good brush hog trail to the woods. Um, that's all I did there. I got a piece I kind of got my eye on in another state, and I was talking to a buddy of mine that's a surveyor, and uh, we were talking if we bought it. It would just be doze the road in, put a survey line down the middle of it, and probably have to do that. But I've never, I've never gotten a piece that big. You know, my my stuff is usually between two and four hundred acres, and I usually I can split it up enough without having to put a main road through it. Okay. So never, never have done that. Uncharted, not yet. Yeah. Not yet. Um, anything else here? Uh, I got a few notes. I was looking over them. I don't really see anything. Um. But yeah, I got I got some buddies, and even I've even thought about uh, buying equipment, doing equipment rental on my house. I think um, I think if a person could do that, could probably make a couple thousand bucks a month. You know, if you had a couple of minis, a couple of skid steers, uh, just passive income like that. You know, there's there's ways. You know, I got a lot of buddies that sell stuff. There's ways you can do it. You know, um, you just have to find a niche and stick and, with uh, it. Stick with it. Yeah, yeah. It it's definitely would probably be better than you know paying out of your own pocket every month. You know, yeah. sold. You can find a way to do it without coming out of your own personal account. That's really nice. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Yeah, and a lot of and a lot of people, um, you know, they'll start a small piece and uh, you know start to twenty or forty and flip it and make some money and they'll they'll eventually get to a bigger piece. You know, that that's a good way there if you can find a good good deal on forty acres to add value and resell it and get an eighty and resell it and then you can keep ten thirty one in your money. So mm-hmm. uh, you're down. So for that guy, would you tell him ten thirty one into to rentals or would you tell him ten thirty one into land or it just your um, opinion? I'd say whatever you can find a really good deal on, you know, you got a time, you got a timeline, I think 45 days after you close to identify. So either one, whatever you can find, you can find a deal on. Yeah. So I think, you know, who Bill Linky is. Oh yeah. We uh, actually, we, re- uh, we recorded with him actually this February, no, this March. Uh, okay. I'm going to have, I'm going to have a, a winky podcast episode on here. Okay. Yeah. I think that's what he did. He sold his big farm and wanted to 1031 to a farm and never could find it. So he went to commercial rentals and they made yep. the payment. So I would say whatever you can find a, a good deal on just, trying to pay tax on it because it's always a chunk of money. So yeah. So have have you pretty much deferred all your your capital gains into 1031 uh properties? Um most of the time. Now this year we're starting to, to take it out and pay taxes and put in the bank if we can get some opportunities in the future is what I'm doing. But before we were 1031 about everything. Yeah. So but you kind of get you got to be careful to get your uh, down payment trapped in there. You know, and that's fine. But what we usually do is put um our line of credit as our down payment on the farms and then we flip them the bank will put it where they got to pull that money back out so we can kind of keep our equity. You know, if you want to buy a bunch of rentals or a bunch of land, especially rentals, equity is a big deal. Like you always got to be finding equity, you know, try to find, get a good deal on apartment complex or duplex, do work to it, reappraise it, and always be pulling equity. You know, it would be, it'd be impossible to buy 200 units in five years if you're putting 15, 20% down in cold hard cash. You know, that'd be tough, but, but it's, but it's been just a big equity game, mostly on, you know, Hmm. I'm buying more more stuff man that's above that's above my pay grade <laughs> so explain that in more depth because i'm sure i'm I, I can't be the only one that's slightly confused so like break that down on uh, just a, an example property and use numbers um, let's say i buy a, a duplex for eighty five thousand dollars, and i go in there um this is property one there. property number yeah. one right okay. so say you bought a duplex for eighty five thousand, got a good deal went in there paying the outside put new flooring down paying the inside kind of cheaper stuff it doesn't cost a lot and they have the bank reappraised. So then it's worth 120000 And then, you know, do a new loan for a full 85000 So then you get your down payment back out on it. You know, so say you put 15000 20000 down to buy it. You get that money back out and then do that again. You know, don't don't buy high dollar stuff that, you know, it's already paid too much for. Try to buy cheaper deals that you can put some work into, reappraise and pull your money back out. Okay. So, so what- that seems to help out a lot. Okay, so then let's say someone does that. They buy this property for eighty five. They, you know, it's the Burr method basically, right? Minus the maybe the rent. So they buy it, they fix it, they refinance it, and then let's say they sell and they refinanced it for the value was one hundred and twenty. So you're pulling out the original money that you put into it, and then they go to sell it for one hundred and thirty. So then you're only paying ah, uh, so you're only paying or you only have to ten thirty one that ten thousand dollar difference versus eighty five. Uh, I don't. I don't think you're allowed to do that. Like okay. you can't buy something with a bunch of a bunch of 1031 money. You can't, I can't move, I can't move a hundred thousand dollar in profit over it and then reappraise and pull it out. I think you have to wait a year. Okay. Which is nice because when you uh, refinance stuff, you don't have to pay taxes on it. 
So real mm-hmm. estate rental properties are really good for taxes. Like I mean, we we bring in a lot of cash flow this year, and we pay very little on taxes, if any. You know, like so that, that's kind of one of the reasons we got into them was just because of tax breaks. Mm-hmm. So you can write off you can write off all the interest to the loan. So we may pay fifty thousand dollars in interest this year. The renters paid paid it, but we can write off fifty thousand in interest. And then I think you can appreciate the houses over 27 years, I believe. So there's good tax breaks, you know, in, in real estate. And, you know, you're buying a $100,000 duplex and putting 15000 down, you know. So it's a pretty good deal when you can leverage leverage your money to buy an asset. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I'm going to have to organize my notes more <laughs> for, for more. Uh, this is this was 101 with the hint of 102. And so yeah. well, we'll so be more wanna, prepared for next time. If you want to learn about a uh, rental property, just go to Bigger Pockets because they can teach you a lot better on there. And uh, they, got, <laughs> they got everything on there. But is that pretty much your, your biggest source of information for real estate in general is going through and listening to Brandon Turner on his podcast? Yep. Yep. Yeah. I haven't much lately, but I do a lot of driving now. So I'm always listening to something. Uh-huh. So you might as well be learning. Yeah. Might as well be learning. If you can take that time that most people spend the last two hours a day watching TV and do it to you looking for deals or learning something, uh, you'd be way, way ahead, you know. Awesome. Well, I love it. Thank you so much uh, for taking the time to talk today. I think that everyone should feel a little more inspired that there's opportunity out there. Go out and get them. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. So if uh, if people want to find you, I don't know if you want to share that. You're more than welcome to. If not, um, you know, whatever, however you want to leave it off. I don't really have anything. I got a Facebook page I don't really use anymore. So. <laughs> All right, we'll just leave it to that. If it- All right. Sounds good, Jake. We'll do it All again. Right. All right. Thank you. There you guys have it. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I know I did. Flint is off to the races. So really interesting conversation. Some things we haven't covered here on the podcast as just mentioned. If you guys enjoyed it, please leave a five-star written review. It would really help us out. And until next time, see you guys.